0: Welcome to Tub Talks. I'm Jean-Vieve. I grew up learning the most through conversations in the hot springs, with everyone from close family to complete strangers in the tubs at Esalen and Big Sur. There's a special kind of intimacy that's created when people strip down and share freely in the bath. On Tub Talks, we will soak in the wisdom and creativity offered from friends in all walks of life, and relax into the process of growth together. In the ways that soaking becomes a deeper relaxation over time, freeform conversation allows for us to undress our insecurities and share our process and lifestyle in true authenticity. So, hello from my tiny clawfoot bath under an oak tree. Let's get into today's episode. Today we had the opportunity to soak in thought with DJ and poet, Mia Moretti. Mia has been a working DJ since she was 18 years old, sharing the dance floor with strangers and friends across the world. Her creative mind, deep feelings, and cultural interests are fascinating to explore. And so we welcome her to Tub Talks. Welcome, Mia. Hi, Mia. Welcome to Tub Talks. Thank you. Um, I'm really happy to have you here today because also you were one of our quarantine Tub Talks when we did it as a live stream back in 2020. That's right. From my tub to yours. Two outdoor baths. Yeah, that was a special time. And in that time, you also wrote a bunch of poetry, which is one of the things that I wanted to talk about today is how that came to be because you hadn't... Had you always been writing poetry or is that something that you came to in the quarantine? Because I think that in your work, most people have known you mostly as a DJ in the public sphere. I would say I've always
1: written words, but that, that was the first time that I made the sort of conscious decision of writing poetry, calling it poetry, giving it sort of a uh, space in my life and giving it time, which actually was probably the biggest factor in that transition or introduction.
0: How does that work into making it into a whole piece? Because I think sometimes I'll write poems, but they're just singular poems, not mm-hmm. an entire work. hmm And mine were
1: just pieces of paper, sort of. And through the first couple, well, probably through the first month of the quarantine, I um, just was going through stuff, I think, like a lot of us were. And I realized I had a lot of little pieces of paper. (laughs) So the first collection is mostly poems that I had written throughout probably the last five or six years, um, and I had them in different places. They were all over. It was super unorganized because I I write poetry a little bit like I journal or it is a form of journaling for me, so it definitely is a personal thing. I, I never wrote poetry to put out or considered myself a poet. It was just the only way I could journal or express, you know, at the end of the night or if I'm feeling something and I needed to get it out, the way it came out of me, it was in a poem.
0: Well, it's so beautiful. Did you always see it journaling that way, or is that something that developed over time?
1: No, I think it developed over time. I think probably I, I stopped journaling for years and years because it felt, it, it sort of felt like a thing of my childhood or, or childish even, I think, like the idea of just writing a diary or writing to myself didn't feel, I I think as soon as you enter the professional world, all your time is so precious and everything you do feels so important. And so just to take time to write in a journal never felt like it had a worth in my life. And writing as a poem felt like it honored those words a little more. And it was very thought. Out, and it was also a very beautiful way to put words into the universe or get them out of my body, I think. Being able to write those words down as a poem, I think, made me feel like it was important enough to take the time to write it down.
0: Have you received feedback in, after you've put these out that made you feel more connected to other people because it's such an alone place that you're writing from? Mm-hmm and then you're sharing it with others so they can feel a sense of connection to that, too.
1: I mean, I, that's not why I'm sharing it with... I mean, I guess, yeah, that is why you share it with others. Well, it could I not, didn't it could not feel, be the way what you Yeah, do. I think I just felt like I wanted to put it into the world and then let people decide, yeah, if they were connected to it or not. I, I don't dwell in that feedback, maybe, so I feel like if feedback has come in... It sort of, like, goes out at the same moment. I, I, I don't That's really cool. think about, like, what I've gotten from it since I put it into the world. I just felt like I was so proud of myself for taking the time to put together pieces of me into a book that I got to spend a lot of really beautiful moments putting together and putting into the world and putting it together in a way where the process was so much part... The process felt like a piece of poetry as well. And by that I mean, like, finding the paper that I wanted to have it pressed on and finding the letterpress where I was going to press it and, like, the layout of each page and spending days and days at the letterpress. Like, each page has to be set up individually. It's not just, okay, file complete, file send, get a book back. It was really, like, months of really beautiful moments sharing with these this family that runs a letterpress in Los Angeles where I where I press the book so the whole process felt like yeah it it felt like a poem in all of its different evolutions I guess as soon as I recognized uh, those words were something worthy
0: of more time. How did you find the letterpress?
1: I found the letterpress because it was next door to the paper shop. So I found the paper shop first. There's a shortage of paper in the country right now. So it was hard to find paper, and it was hard to find 100% cotton paper. So my search for beautiful paper led me to a paper store in Los Angeles in MacArthur Park. And they recommended I talk to the letterpress next door about pressing the book and i really only imagined that i would letterpress the cover i never imagined i would letterpress an entire book it's an insane thing to do <laughs> it's an insanely expensive thing to do but because it was a pandemic their business was a lot slower than usual it's two brothers that run the letterpress shop it's called aardvark and their parents started it in 1958 and it's still there and once you go in there, goodbye. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like, no chance I was gonna print the book after that. It's so beautiful and like, it's such a, it is such an art and I really, really enjoyed the whole process.
0: Yeah, I think that that in itself is, makes it worth doing something when you can enjoy every element of the process, whether it's writing the words or putting it together as an art form. It, you, you have a different relationship to putting something out. I can really see that now listening to you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I think for any artist, actually, we forget, or I don't know if we forget about the process or we hyper-focus on certain parts of the process or the parts that we think are the important parts or maybe it's the part that comes easiest or the part that you're the most dedicated to or however it may be for every individual. The full realm of it the 360 sort of was is the beautiful thing for me I think
0: it seems like you apply that to all the parts of your life in every part of your life art becomes a, a big part of it whether you're making like the video the travel videos with your friends or you're DJing like art is kind of how you live your whole life
1: I definitely think that creativity is part of Every part of my life. There's no part of my life where I neglect creativity. And that's just because I, I think I was raised in a way that appreciated creativity and I always put it on a pedestal. I think you are very similar in that sense. I have respect for it and I have a deep admiration for it and I strive for that in everything I do. So, And, and less than strive for it, I think it just is like my, my nature can't help it right I'm probably like a little too crafty at times
0: yeah I mean I feel the same way it's like everything I do becomes a part of something I do whether it's oh I sit in the bath and talk to my friends about things I'm like let me turn that into a podcast I can relate to that a lot it's important to find ways to enjoy the things that you're doing and make them play and work and something that you can share with the world at the same time and I really I think ever since I met you I've noticed that you also do that
1: Yeah, and I do that in a lot of my friendships, actually, as well. I like this one. But I think I'm drawn to, I I mean, obviously, I think right now we're at a time in the world where work consumes everyone's day and night, whether it's being able to access emails on your phone or being able to, like, text anybody at any moment, for a work-related problem and like in our industry as artists I go to work at night so and like during the day I'm on email so there's not really any time that's not dedicated to work but imagine if that was like a job that I wasn't super passionate about and didn't love and didn't have total control over all the parts of so I think when I meet people that I share a create like that creative or I feel their creative passion instantly I go into like a a work mode but I I think that's just the the biggest joy for me is to be able to have everything I love be part of my there's there's no wall between work and life and love and creating
0: yeah I, I can resonate with that a lot have you, you said that you grew up in a creative way. How was that? What way did you grow up? Where did you grow up? I grew up in the Bay Area.
1: I think it's just the type of people my parents were and where they put importance and the type of people that were around us and in our household. And that, to me, taught me what was important. So I didn't see, like, businessmen coming in and out and, like, that and thinking, like, oh, that's an important person. I saw a shaman coming in and being treated like a king and me thinking, okay, this is an important person. This is someone that is here to help someone or heal someone or lead somebody or lead a group. And I saw a lot of, there was always a lot of group activities, I think, happening in my house. There, was, there wasn't there was really a lot of things that were focused on the individual, and that probably contributed a lot to me, like, constantly reaching out and being attracted to people where, where we have this work creativity flow.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: But, yeah, I think also in, growing up in the Bay Area, and you were pretty close to the Bay Area, it's a different lifestyle, and I think there's a whole different set of... I I don't know, a a different tone.
0: But the Bay Area then was also quite different than it is now. Oh, probably, yeah. You know, like, (laughs) when I go back to the Bay Area, because my sister lived there when I was little. She was 25 when I was born, so when I was little, I would go up to the mission and stay with her. And it was so different in the 90s than it is now. Now it's very, it's just been taken over by... Oh yeah, people. it's te-
1: it's the tech world yeah. now. Yeah, no, that's not the Bay Area I grew up with. It was more like Waldorf schools and <laughs> farmers markets, and I mean stuff that's everywhere. Actually, I I think though a lot of that community has is all over the world, and now especially probably with more communication, like you're able to find that everywhere.
0: I think that it's still there, but it's just been. Turned into an industry in a different kind of a way Like I grew up in a very country granola version of it Mm -hmm. Right where my mom would take me to the cornucopia store Which was like the only health food store It was pre-whole foods Mm -hmm. And that's where we'd get all of our groceries And carob and whatever
1: you yeah, know. we always—it was always like a drive the day we were gonna go to the grocery store because yeah. it had to be like the one organic market that was like a couple towns over.
0: I remember when we first met, and you were like, "That's why I'm not—I don't go so far into that world."
1: <laughs> You're like
0: I'm straddling it a little bit more.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. When I moved to Los Angeles. I was like how that's like when I turned 18 that's like the opposite that you could you know for someone from northern California to move to southern California is like how dare you <laughs> what did
0: you want to do when you came down here I just
1: wanted to go to a nightclub
0: <laughs> that's so real I mean I moved to the arts district downtown I was like I will be in the city no more big sir for me yeah I, I wanted to go to a nightclub what was it like when you first went to a nightclub I mean, I thought I found God. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, in a way, you do. Yeah, it's...
1: I, I still I didn't I didn't grow up with a religious upbringing at all, so maybe the nightclub for me was like the closest thing to like a preacher or sermon and the community you feel at a church. I, I never really went to church actually, so that makes sense now. Like going into a nightclub, being like, oh, the DJ is like the god that controlling yeah. this room and like all of the people are you know like you're feeding off of that energy and you're feeding each other and like you really feel this interplay between the two and and how much energy there is in the room and how it moves around and
0: it it really fed me
1: i really enjoyed that then i wanted to be the one leading that
0: yeah that makes sense i i didn't realize that that was how you found it and it makes so much sense I obviously don't DJ, but I love looking at crowds and, like, seeing how they feed the person performing and vice versa. Like, I love watching audiences because I like to see people and their joy in that way. And when a song really hits them in a way that moves their body, it's powerful. Yeah,
1: it's really interesting. I mean, I I, didn't—I feel like that sounds a little bit like some—every DJ has a God complex. Yes, you are the person playing the music and— but the energy is so working back and forth between everyone in the room. Like, you're not, it's its totally out of your hands. You're not responsible for it at all. Like, once you put it into the universe, it's up to what's happening in that room to, like, then take its own life. And I also always thought of DJing as just a way to weave together stories to take someone on a journey throughout a night of what what each song is is where each song is leading people and then into another direction and into another direction and i i loved that about music and nightclubs that was the first thing i i remember actually is that wow this is a this is a story that this person is telling throughout the night and they're totally it's like almost like you're reading a book just to children at a the kindergarten or something like
0: that yeah i see that i mean i wouldn't say that i see it as a god complex but more like the preacher complex or a rabbi someone who feels like they're being a channel for something that feels godly and that's what music can be it can it can connect you to your sense of spirituality but the person that's facilitating that is somebody else maybe the person performing or the person DJing is, like, able to lead you through that in a different way. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a better way to put it. Because it is really powerful to make music and to be able to curate music, which is a different skill set, too, to be able to, like, synthesize what different people are saying through music and lead someone through an entirely different journey is its own gift.
1: Yeah, very different. And I, I think also... There's such a difference between putting together a DJ set, arriving somewhere, and playing it, versus arriving somewhere, starting something, and seeing where it goes. Do you do both? I almost never plan my sets, actually. Anytime I've planned my set, it feels like, it's dead. Could be just personal, but I'm not on the journey when I plan the set. And I think it's really important to be on the journey with with everyone else. I sometimes will have an idea of a set, and I start it, but I always, like, I heard something one time about acting that was, like, memorize the thing, know it inside and out, and then throw it out. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of how I... I I sort of took that into my DJing professionally. Like that was sort of my, became my style of, okay, I'm gonna sort of have an idea. This is what I want to play, this is where I want to go, but I'm not in charge of it anymore. I'm just gonna arrive, I'm gonna start, and I'm gonna see where it goes and see what works and see what doesn't. No two nights are ever the same. That's what I love about DJing. Even if it's the exact same location, the exact same time, the exact same day of the week, it's still never the same.
0: I think that's really beautiful because it's so true to the human experience too. It, no yeah. night is ever going to be the same, but even if you do the same, exact same things,
1: yeah, no human is ever the same. Like we constantly are comparing ourselves to other people and other people's paths, and it's such a waste of time. Do you
0: find that you fall into those patterns?
1: E- yes, I think that. You know, you, you, I'd have to be, like, a Buddhist, I think, probably, to, like, be able to say, no, I don't at all. But I think I've gotten better at picking up when I'm doing that and recognizing what I'm doing out of because I want to do it or because I, I think I'm following some path that I'm supposed to be following and that someone else took and it worked for them. We're never going to be perfect, but I think the more that we can recognize when we're not being honest to ourselves.
0: Is that a lesson you've learned through your life or something that you've had intrinsically inside of you?
1: No, I've learned that. Uh, I think that just comes with age and experience and time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And mistakes, you know? (laughs) I think at a young age I really wanted to be normal and then... I quickly realized that that was impossible. And once I realized that, I was able to shed so much of who I thought I should be.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful.
0: Yeah. But I think it's also necessary to be able to step into creative fields because you have to be so strong to be able to pave your own lane.
1: Yeah, it is true. And, like, you fail so much. You fail so many times. So many. And also, like, the... The more true you are to you, and I think, like, the the better you become, the more you're going to fail in places that aren't right for you.
0: Can you share a moment when you've failed and it helped you learn something? (sighs) I
1: mean, I fail all the time. (laughs) Um, Well, it can be
0: a small fail, too. I mean,
1: it's interesting, really, as a DJ, it's such a broad word, right? Like, a DJ. You could play any type of music,
0: You can play,
1: like, yeah. you, you know, but I think maybe more and more now that, like, DJing has become more popularized. It's sort of, like, become broken into more niche industries. For a long time, someone would say, like, They needed a DJ and then you just start, you know, you get stuck in the yes world of saying like, yeah, I can do that. Okay, especially when you are starting your career and you, you know, I needed a job. So I wasn't saying no to anything. When did you start? Um, I was was 18 or 19. Wow. Yeah, I've been DJing for 20 years. I had no idea. (laughs) So long. So I think because of that, I've just had a lot of opportunities to see so many different experiences. And like so many of them were the wrong experiences for me. And so many of them were the right experiences, but the wrong ones still taught me so much and made me who I am. And I wouldn't trade any of them except for maybe a few (laughs) massive nightclubs that I shouldn't have ever been DJing. (laughs) And for people that didn't, you know, care all about the music I was playing, but it's still like, Being able to... And and actually, that's something that I'm doing right now is trying to conquer that fear of the thing I I can't do. Sort of contradicting myself a little bit here. But I, I do think that there is... My goal is to be able to play the type of music that I want to play and take people on the journey that I think they'll want to go on or will enjoy in spaces that they're not used to that experience
0: yeah bringing music into places that aren't used to that kind of music is such a powerful thing to do because that's how i feel with ambient music even bringing people into ambient spaces that wouldn't find themselves there that's part of why i like incorporating Wes to do Mm -hmm. a ambient set or harley when flume did it because it's not what people anticipate and maybe their audience become more open to other experiences when initially they all just wanted to go rave or party or mm. see West at Excess, you know, or Encore in my, in my, or in Vegas. So they are anticipating some other kind of experience and then they find this ambient music experience not going to touch everyone, but it touches someone. There is a girl that comes to Secular Sabbath from Las Vegas who works at one of the clubs that, or worked at one of the clubs that West mm-hmm. DJs at and found us through the live stream that we did over quarantine. And it's been really special to connect with her. She flies out all the time to our events. And, and I think if you're able to touch one person in that way and help them find another kind of community that balances that what they're also doing in their home, it's like, it's cool. It's cool to be able to share something new with, with people that maybe they wouldn't find on their own.
1: I mean, definitely your job as a DJ, I think, is to introduce people to music that they don't know and wouldn't hear. I think that's one of, in, if no matter what type of DJ you are, I think we have that responsibility.
0: And also it opens up people to culture in different ways. If you play Afrobeat and people are just used to listening to rap or hip hop, that's a very different experience and you're introduced to different sounds and even rhythms to, and how to move your body.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. The same way that, like, yes, the way that travel opens you up to culture. I think that, yeah, in a sense, if someone is unable to have opportunities to travel to different countries or around the world experiencing different cultures, music is a major way to open up worlds to people.
0: I noticed that you do that in your... DJ sets. I always notice that you play music that I've never heard somebody else play in a set. And it does, it can throttle in a way that like wakes people up. And I think that that's something that you do in general. I notice that you wake people up.
1: Yeah, that's funny. That reminds me, actually. (laughs) I love playing a live version of a song every now and then in a DJ set because it just confuses people so much. And I think it's important to, like, shake them out of this monotony, whatever. Like, whoa, wait, look around. Is there a band on? Like, where? oh, what's going on? We need to, like, get out of the autopilot.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And you even write poems about that. I find that your poems talk about that too, like the poem that's Wake Up Los Angeles. In a lot of ways, it seems like your purpose is awakening people.
1: Well, it's probably awakening myself. Mm. So, you know, if you take one person on,
0: do you think a that journey, you feel that's all you need? <laughs> you, you
1: can fall asleep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, everything around us is like created to put us all to sleep a little
0: bit. What do you do to shake yourself out of autopilot? Love is
1: is a big one. I think when you fall in love, you open your eyes in a way that you don't experience other times in your life. Colors are brighter. Flowers smell stronger, more pungent. I think food tastes better. You look at people differently. The, clouds are beautiful the sky is bright blue like I think that is a great example of waking up and shaking yourself out of a numbness that we like fall into just in day-to-day life meditation I think can do that too deep meditation hallucinogenics can do it too
0: (laughs) 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 what kind of meditations do you do I don't
1: really meditate. I I think that poetry is probably the closest form of meditation I have. I don't have good habits. I'm really bad at keeping a routine anything.
0: Maybe that's part of your magic. (laughs) I don't have great routines either. No? No. And in fact, when I start to find a routine, I almost think that it takes me out of what makes those things magical. I was noticing that recently that when I do tea ceremony in the morning, it's become more like a routine and it doesn't feel special to me anymore. Mm. So I'm actually trying to, I'm in the process of finding a new morning ritual because I want to do tea at a time when it, actually arrests me in the moment Mm -hmm. because now it just feels like i'm going through the motions i go pee in my lemon tree in the morning and then i heat up my water and i go to do my tea ceremony you go pee you have tea somebody told me that if you pee in your lemon tree or not your lemon tree specifically but if you pee in your plants, first thing in the morning, that pee is like the cleanest pee. Oh and no! So it's really. I haven't
1: heard that actually. Thought you're going somewhere <laughs> different with this.
0: No, and so I, my clean pee in the morning goes into my lemon tree, and that's it. That's the only time I pee in my tree. But I, I do that every morning after I turn on the water, usually to boil, and then I go and brush my teeth, and then I go and sit for my tea ceremony, but it really doesn't feel special anymore because I'm like, okay, now I'm going to sit for three bowls of tea. Okay, now I'm going to write in my journal. And so then it loses its authenticity in a way of being a a practice of mindfulness because now it feels like routine. So I'm actually, I started making lemon water lately in the morning, the last couple of days so that I could have a new morning practice Mm -hmm. that Changes my dynamic to a morning practice because I want something, then, but mm-hmm. I can't be a routine because mm-hmm. that doesn't work for my creativity. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, you, and you, you maybe you're getting less out of the tea ceremony.
0: Yeah, I'm right? not. I'm not getting. I'm not getting. But maybe if I do it in the afternoon, which I've noticed, I can use it as a reset mm-hmm. to move back into creativity if I have found myself lost. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Uh, it's just about shaking things up and finding a new way for them to land. Yeah, I think so. Yeah,
1: things work until they don't work and then you can change them. I think not feeling stuck in it is the best way out, right?
0: Yeah, but also you travel a lot and you do so many different things that like you don't really have time to do one thing every day. It seems. No, I don't.
1: I mean, I definitely find a lot of solace in that first cup of coffee. That to me is like my heaven. But... No, I, th- I, I really enjoy the variety of life. And I think that's why I have the job I have, is because it's different every day. I think, like, as soon as it became... as soon as it becomes, or at any point when it became monotonous, I probably found some way to, to shift it, which is maybe what I'm doing now, trying to understand, like, what does my DJ set look like in las vegas or like in a big nightclub like how do i bring that like gift of music that i feel when i play music to a massive room of three four five thousand people yeah but i'm just starting to
0: understand that now
1: the end like maybe that doesn't work for me maybe it does that's okay i feel like that's part of the process
0: what do you mean? That experience doesn't work for you or... That maybe song? I don't
1: fit in there anywhere.
0: But maybe or, you also do.
1: Or maybe I do and then I don't even like it, though. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't want to play for 5,000 people. Or play the type of music that that demands. But I think that there's space to, like, op- to open up. I think that I always have believed that there's enough people everywhere, that there's space for every type of DJ. Every, there's enough space for all of the DJs, for every type of DJ, for every type of music. There's, it, Music is such a gift that everyone can receive that I've never felt that we're, we're limited.
0: That's really beautiful because a lot of people feel competitive or that they need to hold the space. And it seems that you've always been in your own lane. So it doesn't really, there is no competition in your space because it's just you. There also there aren't that many to be. women.
1: There are, but it doesn't really matter. There's so much, like the world is so vast. There's a, like, by being competitive, I feel like the only person that loses out is you. I've, I've opened up so many worlds from my community of DJs. I can't even imagine DJing without the friendships and the understanding and the, the sharing that goes on between other
0: DJs. That's a really great perspective because it's inclusive and we need more inclusivity in this world and in this time. It's like the same with putting out books. <laughs> You're like I'm just I'm putting it out, and more people will put out things. And I like spending time with the people that I'm making things with. It's like almost as if you're fostering community through what you're doing, but organically. Like you're not even trying. Well,
1: I hope I hope I am. Yeah, I think that community is the basis for
0: a humanity that survives. Is that something that you think about? Because we are in a time of kind of a crisis. Yeah. Uh,
1: Yeah, definitely, 1,000%. I'm really scared about, like, lack of community in places and between people. I think if we lose that, like, that, you know, our country will crumble, and we are getting close to that, I think. But I don't think it's impossible to change it.
0: Have you listened to our Tub Talks episode with Loria Stern? Tub Talks is hosting a dinner catered by Loria herself on October 1st, 2022. In this dinner, Secular Sabbath Inner Circle members will have the rare opportunity to taste the colorful flavors of her mind and spend time with this inspiring woman. You can purchase tickets through the membership portal, accessible in our show notes. We look forward to sharing an evening with you, so mark your calendars and make sure to write down any questions you might have for Loria. Now back to the episode. So you started DJing when you were 18 or 19, but what did you, did you DJ only that whole time or you also left LA for a while? What was kind of your trajectory in the time between then and now? Yeah. My first DJ
1: gig was at the Standard in Hollywood, in the lobby there. And the only rule was I had to play vinyl and I couldn't play top 40 from any decade. Those were the two rules. And I felt like that introduction to DJing has stayed with me. So it's probably why I'm struggling so much now. During like, I'm gonna play Vegas, but I'm gonna let them know. No top forty. <laughs> no top forty in Las Vegas.
0: Can you imagine? That? I'm gonna be out of there in a week. <laughs> you said that when you were going out there, and you made it past week one. So I don't think you're allowed to say that anymore. <laughs> you made it. You're um, going back. Back to Vegas.
1: Yeah, we'll see. I feel like Las Vegas is the town that is just notorious for cutting somebody 10 minutes into their set, like pulling them off stage.
0: I think that that's just a fear. That's a lot of fear. And it's true that it could happen, but also it could not happen. And you just never know. I mean, Wes has had a residency there forever. (laughs) It can happen, even though he does play some top 40 or a lot. (laughs) It's a different kind of a set, but I think that part of it is that you can integrate. You. It was also such a different time when you had your first DJ set, and that was what was celebrated. Kind of is is being niche and knowing how to do vinyl, and Mm -hmm. that art of that has been taken away. But I think it's coming back in a cool way. Like you see younger kids being into new things like Beck's daughter was telling me about how much she loves songs from 1982 specifically mm-hmm. and 1983 specifically mm-hmm. she's 15 years old like there is hope to me in, in younger generations of people being interested in in history and in time past and the art that was born out of those time periods
1: Catch my next DJ set, Zoo, Las Vegas. Only 1982 to 1983
0: hits. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what was happening. I wasn't even alive in 1982, but apparently the music was great. There was she. But yeah, I don't know. I, I was think there's always the great song? music. Yeah, that's the
1: thing. And also, what's what you learn? I think being a DJ is there's no such thing as a good or bad song it's all depends on how you're introduced to it Mm. and that's like life right i think we can take that lesson so far in life like even with people you meet someone that hates somebody and then you meet someone that can be best friends with that person but context is everything
0: yeah, context is everything. And you can change, too. Your perspective can change. I could, I'm could, i someone that has really strong feelings when I meet someone immediately if I like them or not. But I've had my mind changed and I'm not above having my mind change mm-hmm. about someone. And I'm sure that people have that with me, too, where they could be like, oh, she looks like a bitch. And then... Maybe I'm more silly than I Who they looks thought. at you and thinks that she looks like a bitch? <laughs> <laughs> I had these friends in Berlin. That's almost
1: impossible.
0: <laughs> no, I swear, when I moved to Berlin, I had made friends with this couple, and I thought they were so cool, and when we be- we made friends, we kind of lived like the dreamers, like the three of us lived in this apartment and just made art and we're ready to throw it out the windows. Like, it was just for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, throughout the friendship, I came to understand that at the beginning when they met me, we went out to Kato which is like a big, at the time, it was like a intense nightclub. They were like, oh, she's bitchy. But it's because my German really wasn't as good as it is now. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the way that I was communicating, and also I was probably pretty jet-lagged because I would literally just flown over. But they were like, oh, no, she's not. She's not our vibe. She's a mm-hmm. bitch. And then... We became best friends and watched Care Bears. So, I <laughs> <laughs> we were, but I feel like that's a good, that was the one time where I was like, oh, wow, people can really perceive you differently than mm-hmm. then you become. You mm-hmm. can become friends with someone.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no one likes cops, but they go home to their family every day and their family loves them.
0: Yeah, and also <laughs> I um, got into a car accident in 2021. I was driving back from Palm Springs Desert Hot Springs from Two Bunch Palms, and I was going to turn. I was going to change lanes, and it was in that kind of traffic that like stops really quickly, and it's like you're going so you're going like 70 miles per hour, and then all of a sudden it stops, and then you're going really fast, and then it stops. And I was going to change lanes, and I hit the car in front of me, like going really fast, and it was so scary. And uh, everybody was fine, luckily. Mm-hmm. But when the cops came, they were so nice. And I had my dog, Hero, in the car. And we were stuck in the middle of, like, a seven-lane highway, in the third lane. Wow. So huge trucks were going past 70 miles per hour. And then we finally get over to the side, but my car is totaled, And the cop, even though it was, like, not his job, gave me a ride to the tow yard where my car had been towed. And I was like, wow, this guy is so nice. And he was so thoughtful and made sure that I was okay, even though, the, like, the accident was technically my fault. And, like, I could have really hurt someone. I could have hurt myself, too. And and he was so kind. And, and I'm so used to being in a world where I'm afraid of, of cops and afraid of police. And yet this man was just a person who was really helpful and showed me kindness. So it's another really good example of mm-hmm. feeling, like, yeah, people aren't always what you perceive them to be based on, like, what category you put them in. hmm
1: Yeah, it's true. So, they're, yeah, just like music. Just
0: mm-hmm. like music. Did you grow up in, like, a musical family, or was it just that you always listened to music?
1: Yeah, I grew up with my family having music as part of our home all the time. So there was a music room with a piano with, like different drums, or bongos, and congos, and didgeridoos, and yes. shakers, and tambourines. And, and there was always, like, music night. And that was just my parents and my brother or friends playing, jamming. That was often. And at the dinner table, it was like often my dad and my brother on their guitars singing songs and playing guitar. I don't play any instruments, so I always felt detached from that environment. And that, I felt like I was like an onlooker in my own family. I didn't feel like I was part of that connection. Didn't have that connection with them. And then I think that's why when I went into a nightclub for the first time in Los Angeles, I realized that there is a place for music, there is a home for me in music. That's so sweet. And it was, it it is playing (laughs) other people's music. And it's still a form, a way for me to share music and be, have it be a part of my life. And it's been a part of my life for 20 years since then. I think that's probably why I became a DJ. Do your parents? (laughs) To finally fit in with my, (laughs) to finally... By love
0: my feel love by my family we're all trying to heal <laughs> our childhood wounds I was you know I'm worthy I mean that's <laughs> probably why I do secular Sabbath so that I can feel like I created something that is of the elk of my parents to we do. could
1: be at Esalen right now
0: yeah we could be <laughs> when you went to Esalen for the first time did it feel similar to how you grew up
1: it was always a part of my childhood like Going to baths or doing retreats, doing silent retreats, shared bathtubs with like naked old people, like that was a, that was like always around me. That was sort of like what we did for a good time. Um, it wasn't necessarily our day to day. I didn't grow up in that environment, but that those were sort of our weekend trips. So. It took me a while to, to realize, like, what a blessing that, that was and to realize that that is such a beautiful way to grow up. Yeah, you kind of spurned it all when you moved to L.A. and moved to the nightclubs. I definitely had to get past the adolescence sort of inksy child that thought it was, like, nudity was gross and thought that sharing a
0: bath with, with someone was disgusting. But I think that's pretty normal. I think it's really normal. I went through a phase where I wore a bathing suit at and It was very brief, like 12 to 15. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that those three years were important years because I made everybody else wear a bathing suit, too. The other kids <laughs> I said, well... You led if, a movement? Yeah, because I just said if we're lying... Unfree the nipple? Yeah, unfree <laughs> the nipple because we can't lie if we're lying to our friends at school, then we are liars. So we have to wear a bathing suit. Oh, and then, why?
1: Oh, because you were telling your friends at
0: school that like, no, we don't walk around naked all day. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, we're not that crazy. We're not hippies like our parents. So we would never go naked. Uh-huh. Wow, like none of us are afraid of nudity at all. We're so comfortable in our bodies and couldn't understand what a blessing that is to feel embodied in your naked skin.
1: Wow, it, it really is. I feel like... It should be a, a therapy that any adult should have to go through before they, A, have children. 100%. B, have partner, probably the other order, A, have partners, <laughs> B, have children, or whatever is, whatever is for you. C, like, work or lead or or manage any group of people because without that, I don't know if it's a comfort or a understanding or an empathy for ourselves and our bodies, I think it's really hard to have that for other people and for the world.
0: Yes, and also when you go in baths with other people and you're nude, you see that all bodies are different. It's so specific to each of your bodies, how they look, how they feel inside of them, how they feel against each other. Every body is different. It's not the same. There's no uniform answer. There's no uniform diet. You have to look at your own body and feel into your own body and what it needs, not what a movement is telling you. Like the cran... My mom used to do so many weird diets, like the cranberry juice one or the one where you don't eat gluten or you cut certain things out of your diet. And it's like you have to just feel into what feels good in your own body. It it can't be one answer for everyone. I mean, I I think that understanding also just like
1: circles back to what we were saying about everyone's path in life. Every physical body is different, but everyone's, if you understand that, you can understand how everyone's path is going to be different and everyone's relationship is going to be different and everyone's home is going to be different and that's okay.
0: Yeah, I also think growing up in an atmosphere where you're Childhood is so different, you understand that there are different ways to grow up too. And that contributes to being able to forge your own path in life because you realize that it doesn't all have to be the same. And you seem like someone that's always been on your own path, whether it is moving to LA and like finding your way into music through a nightclub or in the pandemic, deciding to write a bunch of series of poetry. You know, it's like your own choice to do those things. And it seems like you're not doing it for anyone except just yourself yeah yeah that's true amen what other <laughs> things do you want to do
1: i never really know what i want to do until after they're like basically done <laughs> like, <laughs> the poetry really like that first two the first two books were written years ago you know yeah you just um, assembled them what other things do I want to do? I don't know. I'm not worried about that right now. Oh,
0: that's great. You're <laughs> just working on music right now.
1: Yeah, working on music and actually making a little bit of music right now, which is definitely a, like, a really fun challenge because it What's doesn't come natural like? to me. But I know what, I think like after so long of being in music and studying music and understanding music, conceptualizing music and how songs work and what songs work, it's kind of like a science a little bit of this chemical works with this chemical or mix these two ingredients. And I know I like this and that. Let's put those together and see. So it's all like sample based, Um, just like finding the things I love.
0: And just trying things out in Ableton? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And finding the samples that I know I want to use and then building a song around
0: that it's so cool because it's so so your own process of how you're doing it you're like oh I'm just finding things and putting them together and seeing how they feel
1: (laughs) (laughs) is that not how everyone does it
0: I mean I think everybody has their own way of of building songs from what I've been I've talked to a lot of musicians Mm -hmm. now about their process and I can't say that any one musician does it exactly the same Mm -hmm. any one artist does it exactly the same I was talking with a guest on tub talks the other day and she was saying that they work with a poet and integrate his poems into their lyrics Mm -hmm. that was a whole new way of looking at things you know i i don't think there is one way
1: yeah i definitely i I mean i think because i've done a little bit of songwriting as well and like to me that's just the same as like writing poetry i mean obviously like melody plays such a major role in that but Yeah, I think, you know, I think as a musician, it's definitely not from a space of, I feel this, I'm just going to start playing. And more like, I hear this with this and this like algebra or, you know, like science or math or in the sense of just putting together the pieces to get the equation I want.
0: Kind of also sounds like cooking, like when you're baking. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I love cooking.
0: Yeah, you do, right? (laughs) You also cook a lot, right? Yeah. You incorporated recipes into the...
1: Yeah, my third poetry book was an herb book, so it's recipes for about 20 herbs.
0: Have you always been into cooking?
1: Well, I think it's like the poetry and the pandemic where I knew that I like these things, but I never stopped to do them. I never gave them worth because worth is time and I didn't have time. So I was traveling and like on a hustle, DJing that, yeah, when I stopped and I had time, I got to give cooking worth. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was been really rewarding. I love to cook, but I don't use a recipe at all. Really. It's funny. I made a recipe book. I'm really wild in the kitchen. Like I wish I could make music the way I could cook which is just like,
0: nah, nee, nah, nee,
1: nee, 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 nee. That's...
0: What him. do you do? <laughs> what do you do? Like, how do you
1: cook? I just see what's fresh or see what I have in the fridge or what was at the farmer's market and, like, what calls me, and then I just start making something with it.
0: Yeah, but how do you know that they work well together or how do you know how to bake and the timing on things? Oh, I don't bake. Oh, I thought I've seen you bake.
1: Oh no, I don't Fred. bake. Cooking and baking, I always like my like. It's like probably for my mother because she never, she doesn't bake either, but she cooks the same way I cook, which is just like intuition, I guess. It's probably how a musician make you know that is naturally gifted in sound and music just starts jamming,
0: jazz. Yeah, you're jamming. I'm jazzing. You're jazzing mm-hmm. with the food. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, you know. There's yeah. some things you always
1: need, like olive oil, garlic, onion. You know, that's
0: people like people don't your, know, but that's what I'm that's saying. Like, like what peas, are your basics?
1: Your base. You know, the drums, <laughs> you, the so, aromatics, <laughs> onion, garlic, bay leaf, shallot. Just with that, you could really make anything. Honestly, what? <laughs> Because I've never cooked with bay leaf. <laughs> oh, anytime I make beans, I put a bay leaf in the pot of water, okay. salt, and maybe half an onion and some olive oil, and just leave it on the stove for a couple hours.
0: And that's just how you cook your beans? Yeah. See, I would have never known that. I learned something.
1: Or a, a stock or a soup.
0: Bay leaf. Yeah. Just in there. Also,
1: that there was a recipe you took a picture of, that arroz con pollo. Yeah, that has a bay leaf in the rice
0: too. See, I love arroz con pollo. I used to have a best friend who would make the the best arroz con pollo, and when we stopped being friends, it's one of the things <sighs> that I miss the most about her. It's so is her good. Arroz con pollo. Oh my god. And the part where it gets hard around the edge, like Ugh. the burnt part, is my favorite.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's how you cook the rice. And if you cook a bay leaf in it, when you kind of fry the rice, yeah, instead of boiling rice or steaming rice, whatever you do with it, you, cut, you fry it in oil. That's why it kind of gets crispy. But you throw a bay leaf in, it's delicious.
0: <laughs> See, I think that that's the thing about cooking and, and doing anything really like there are these secrets to it that make it a little bit more magical like the bay leaf you know and it's the right. same with the music when you have the little secret ingredient yeah that bay leaf is a musician's synth like their
1: secret <laughs> little like no I need this one <laughs>
0: but you can also collaborate with other people like yes you're working on the music on your own but you can talk to artists too and be like oh how could I put that a little synth in here
1: yeah definitely and and I want to I love collaborating I want to collaborate with different artists and I want to make songs with other people I don't have any power trip like I need to produce the whole song I I don't care like
0: you're just playing around right now
1: yeah and and also like it doesn't matter who produces the song if a song gets made and it's a good song and it's in the world great
0: everyone's happy yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's
1: true. But maybe because it's not my, maybe with cooking, I would be a little more sensitive, but because it's not my, my, I, I am just happy for any music that exists, and, like, my joy is putting it together. So I think, yeah, producing like that or making music and putting it into the world with that attitude, you know, that's just my path. It seems like you're a team player.
0: yeah. Like, I don't know, maybe thinking
1: about that because I'm kind of oddly competitive.
0: I don't know, know. (laughs) (laughs) in teams, maybe I'm a partnership player. Mm. You did have the uh, partner that you were doing, like, she was playing violin, yeah. Uh huh, Margo. What was that like? Like, what was that project? Because I actually didn't know
1: you then. She's a classically trained violinist and. We started playing together, I mean, we play, We still play together and write songs together. She's an amazing composer. She's working on her second classical album right now. Her first album is was out on Amazon, it's just under her name, Margot. Cool. M-A-R-G-O-T, if anyone wants to find it. <laughs> the apartment on 3rd Street is the name of the album. It's it's a beautiful album. And we still write together. And I love writing with her because she's such a skilled musician that that's where, like, I was talking about songwriting and poetry. She's always, like, taking a poem and elaborating on it. But but we performed for 10 years as a DJ violin duo. And it was really, it was a really fun process because we really got to like, we learned so much about ourselves through the process and we changed so much. We saw, like, we didn't, when we got thrust into it, our our two different managers at the time put us together. We didn't really know each other. So we didn't really know what we were doing or what, and there, I think, existed in other parts of the world, but in, like, our little microcosm in New York, we had never seen that. So we weren't, we didn't know what we were doing. We weren't following anybody's lead. And, you know, it was our 20s. We really got to just explore and see what worked and what didn't and, like, what we what brought us joy and what didn't. And as soon as it didn't, we just threw it out and kept it moving. So now when we perform together, we usually play, like, mostly original songs that we've done and edits that we've made and, like, tons and tons of layers of strings on top of mostly funk or disco songs where the strings work really well. I think for a really long time it was about understanding, like, does the music need this? Like, why are we adding this mm. to something? If it's working, like, no, don't change it. Let's really find where we're bringing something to this.
0: Added, actual added value. Yeah. Otherwise, you're, like, sacrilegious, right? Yeah, that makes sense. It's cool that you guys did that because it was kind of a unique thing. And I don't think that there were, there was a girl DJ doing that with a female violinist.
1: No, and we were so adaptable. It was really successful for us at the time in our careers because we were able to play such a wide array of jobs, like from a festival thing to a private event to an opening to a, like a launch party or opening of a mall or something where like we could, more so than a band, if something wasn't working, we were able to change it really quick. Mm-hmm. Ooh, these people are not vibing disco. Okay, quick, let's go somewhere else. And we could do that because we had a really good relationship and understanding of each other. And I, I was a DJ, so we weren't locked into oh these are the ten songs we play or twenty songs we have as a band. We we have to play them.
0: It's almost like theater. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And she's my
1: she's still my best friend, and we. We are able to have a really honest, open relationship with each other where we've, t- we've gone through periods where we've worked every day for months and then we've worked every day for months, and then we've gone through the periods where we haven't seen each other for months and months or a year or something because she's doing a classical project or I'm doing solo stuff. So it's a really beautiful blessing to have opportunities like that where you can... You know, if if you sort of get burnt out of something, like your tea ceremony, we can just be like, Hey, let's put this on hold, let's do solo stuff and you know, if something if it calls to us later, it's there. We don't feel like we're abandoning the other person or
0: Yeah, I'm gonna tell the leaf that the, the tea leaf. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to, let's go our own way. We're going to go our own ways for a little bit. I'll see you, I'll see you when I feel like we have you need more to in common. Age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need a good 10 years of aging and then maybe I'll steep you again. <laughs> no, one of the things that I wanted to ask you, and I'm glad that we started talking about Margot, is how you're able to incorporate so many of your friendships into your work, because that is something that I admire in you, is that you often work with your friends on things.
1: Yeah, I only work with my friends, really. I don't know if it's because my friends are so talented or just I'm attracted to talented
0: friends. (laughs) But you have your friend that you do the videos with, too. What's it called? Lisa. Yeah.
1: um, We had a series called Pillows and Plates, which was essentially a travel series where I was, well, I was already going around the world eating beautiful food And experiencing beautiful cultures and a lot of times staying in very beautiful places. And so we made a series of documenting that, which for me was really important because it felt a little bit, it felt like there was something missing that I got to... Experience all these amazing things. I really wanted to share them with people, share it with the world. I wanted to show people like you don't have to go to the same ten restaurants that are on every list for a city, or you, you know, you don't have to go to the same hotel or the same. I, I don't know. I, I wanted to open people. I hope it like opened up a different way of travel for people, or a different idea set for people.
0: Yeah. It seems that you don't really take it for granted that you get access to all of these amazing experiences, too.
1: I don't think any DJ does. Honestly, I think one of the biggest connections I feel with other DJs is our love for culture, our love for travel, our love for discovering new things, new people, new places. Every DJ I know loves that. I don't think you get into this job if you don't have that passion.
0: 100%. I think that's why I've spent so much time with musicians in my life.
1: Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> probably never dated anyone not. In music.
1: Yeah, I think like people find each other that have common interests.
0: Yeah, and your friend that you made the videos with, she also enjoyed traveling too. Yeah, she she's
1: she's a director and a filmmaker, but really like a almost like a historian, an anthropologist, social studies. Yes, yeah, she. She really loves understanding culture and getting to know people. And I think that's what made the combination so incredible. And and she really loves, before arriving in a place, she's already studied so much about where we're going and the history of it and, like, how it got to be how it is today when we're arriving. Because, you know, understanding a place's heritage tells you so much about it that you wouldn't understand, I think, if you don't
0: know that history. So when you're able to travel and do projects with someone, it's almost as if the project is able to facilitate a deeper experience within even being there or doing something because she adds so much value to the experience too. So you experience it in a different way because of the information she's bringing to it.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was completely selfish.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But it's really impactful because you're able to have deeper experiences in everything you do whether it's making a poetry book and then finding aardvark press where they know everything about everything to do with printing press and then you learn so much more than you would if you had just sent a book out Mm -hmm. to be made Mm -hmm. and i think that that's a valuable token of wisdom for anyone listening or anyone in the world really to be willing to take the steps to to collaborate or to look deeper into what you actually want to do or what you want to build or what you want to show because your own experience is richer for it.
1: Yeah, I think also so much of that just comes with sort of like we grow into that phase of our lives, I think. I think I did a lot of things when I was younger that didn't have the sort of that depth to it.
0: What do you think transition to transition naturally
1: yeah a combination of naturally and being actually exposed to people that take all of those things more seriously and enjoy the depth and have and taught me that I think I think maybe if I hadn't been exposed to people that gave me that understanding I would not have gotten there
0: I'm just curious about who who are the people in your life that are done? That? I
1: mean so everyone, right? <laughs> Friends, lovers, coworkers,
0: family. Yeah, you said that before you spent time not looking at or finding your own way into music and it was separate from your family and then finding your way back to your family almost through it. Mm. But in a joking way you said it, but there is some truth to it. In what ways have you been able to heal through work with your family? Mm. Have they come to see you perform?
1: My mom definitely has. I'm trying to think if my brother ever has. I have to find my way to my brother, I think, because <laughs> he's more, like, going to be a your tip at Burning Man and stuff. I don't think he's going to come to a Vegas nightclub. So <laughs> I feel like eventually my music, maybe I'm slowly, like, making my way back into a place where he would be experiencing that music naturally, not just
0: going somewhere to, to see, see you. Yeah. 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 He's more of a Burning Man type. Yeah. <laughs> but you've never been to Burning Man. He's in Hawaii. Like,
1: where am I going to DJ in Hawaii? You don't know. There are clubs in Hawaii. There are clubs yeah, in Hawaii. Yeah, there are definitely clubs in Hawaii. I don't know if I want to play there. Maybe. Why Why, why not? No?
0: Yeah, why not? <laughs> it could be amazing. I
1: want to play, like, a temple in Hawaii.
0: Yeah, do you have places that you want to play or experiences that you want to have in music? Yeah. Yeah,
1: I want to play. I have a list of dream sort of locations where I want to eventually put together a tour and play. Most of them are actually, like, temples, churches. I want to change that narrative of, like, going to a going to a church for a sermon, like, there's a a church on Wilshire that I'm dying to throw a party in
0: and DJ. Do you have a sense of spirituality?
1: I really believe in nature. I think that the only thing that's going to heal us and feed us is the earth. Um, 100%. Yeah, I think that We've lost a lot, uh, we've lost touch with the earth a lot, but I do think that music will connect us back together and ground us. I, I think that's sort of like the fundamental role of music is to ground us back to the earth.
0: Yeah, and to connect us to each other. I think music is a universal language, perhaps the only universal language that can connect us across cultures. Like you look at the way Paul Simon used music from other countries and that's like one of the ways as a kid that like I was brought to other music too was through his his music or I had a Nigerian drummer who was my godfather growing up at Esalen and he would come and teach drumming, conga mm. drumming mm-hmm. during 4th of July. Instead of having a traditional 4th of July party, Esalen would always have baba Olatunji drumming and dancing mm. and it, it was a way for us to understand his culture not just by talking to him but feeling what he called like the drums of passion mm. and so then you can better understand a people by understanding their rhythm and the way that they move
1: that is so important that is so important yeah that's really interesting
0: Do you notice that in DJing, because you've DJed all around, you DJed in Europe, you DJ here, that there's a different rhythm in different cultures?
1: Yes, but I think where I'm DJing, it's a little more of a homogenized sound, whereas I'm not being flown somewhere to play. Like, they want to hear music from the people that are hiring me. Want to hear like what's big in New York or what's big in LA right now. Right. But I think, yeah, like the goal is to be able to spread that out a little more and go beyond.
0: But I think that you play a lot of events where there are a lot of people who shape culture too. For instance, when I ran into you in Capri at the UNICEF thing, mm-hmm. there are so many people. Yes, everyone's from a similar, like, socioeconomic Mm -hmm. background Mm -hmm. and yet there are so many different cultures within that Mm -hmm. it's just like the same socioeconomic class and people that would come to an event like that Mm -hmm. but they are all from different cultures and you are in these spaces where people are almost tastemakers for what other people are listening to or what people are paying attention to yeah I
1: think I'll be more successful in doing that in music I make
0: Mm. I hope That's an exciting new frontier Yeah I think so
1: because I think Once you make music And put it out you can estu- I can establish myself like People can identify me With a
0: certain sound or a certain song So that really feels like That's the next step for you I think so That's yeah. cool Do you think you'll always be in music Like that's your career path Oh that's yeah. an interesting question
1: I will always have music in my life. I don't know if it will always be part of my work. Hmm. Probably, considering everything we've talked about. Uh, yeah. Work and life and everything being intertwined, right?
0: Yeah, it seems like it always <laughs> does lead back to music for you. Yeah. Yeah, from the
1: girl who um, had to sit out of the music circle. <laughs>
0: I mean, I was also the girl that had to sit out the music circle, and yet I am building my own kind of music world in ambient music, just a quiet sleep music. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it is really powerful to find your own way, and it really it really shows that you have. And even, like, the connection between nature and what you're doing in mindful pressing, mindfully pressing your poems, everything is connected, here. even the way that you curate music, it's more... It shakes people up. You're awakening people. You're, like, thinking about how to be more a part of society that is, you're a helpful person. You're, like, well, even not even trying to.
1: I hope that the goal, like, my goal always, when I played, no matter what I played, even if it was, at the time, felt like the shittiest or, or whatever, whatever it was, my goal always is that you changed someone's one person's attitude or shook them out of the bad day they were having so they could go back to their family or their house or their job a more positive person. Putting just positivity back into the world that's everyone's job I think. As much as we've destroyed this planet I feel like that's something that we can all be responsible for at the least.
0: 100%. <laughs> I agree. So, Well I think on that note I would love to read one of your poems. Oh, okay. <laughs> Do you want to read it? I feel like you should read it this time, since I read it when we were doing the recording of them. Because here we are under the oak tree. This is so beautiful.
1: Um, this poem is called I Never Loved Something Real. I never loved something real, like an oak tree real. Real as one hundred rings you can count. Real as bark. Deep wrinkles of day passing under the pounding valley sun real. Real as arms stretched over the land. Real as roots that refuse to stop reaching. Real as every storm and every season. Real as every star. Real as the moon is new once a month and full once a month and always in that order. Real as you can watch it grow and count the days. That is as real as time will ever be. Real like the million leaves that have fallen from your branches, now collecting their own stories below. Stories of hope, stories of home, perhaps for a wild turkey. I heard they come in March to lay their eggs. Real as every leaf in their nest that promises to protect every egg. A trust only built from being loved by something so real like an oak tree reel thank you thank you thank you for having me
0: you're welcome <laughs> I'm so happy to <laughs> thanks for listening If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review and subscribe to us on your platform of choice. To get updates from Secular Sabbath on upcoming sensory experiences, follow us at Secular Sabbath. Let's get activated together.